You're listening to the weekly sermon podcast from Mountain City Church. In this series, The Gospel of Luke, Jesus for All, we walk through Luke's account of the life and ministry of Christ. All right, if you have your Bibles, I hope that you do. Obviously, we're in the book of Luke, chapter 1. We're going to kick the can down the road a little bit further. Uh, First, what I want you to do, and I'll give you a minute or so to do this, allow our parents to come back and settle in, Um, either in the place that you're taking notes or maybe open up a phone app and and open up a note app or anywhere that you want to jot this down. I want you to answer this question. And again, I'm going to give you a minute or so um, to uh, just to think about it and answer it as we enter in our time today. First thing, I just want to ask for your grace today. Um, Had the RSV thing, I think, all week this week. Um, so I've already told the praise team that I'm going to go as long as I can, and then I'm going to land the plane. So if we land the plane at a weird spot, you know that I'm done, and I'm just asking for your grace. Um, and the, the worship team will, will make their way up, and we'll sing, and God will be glorified in all that we do. So here's the question. How do you find happiness? How do you find happiness? And again, I'll give you about a minute to answer. Try to allow our parents some time to get back, and we will dive in. We should, like, cheer for him as each one comes back. Just, uh, no, I'm just kidding. Where's, wait, I was kidding. Again, just answering the question, how do you find happiness? How do you find happiness? About another 30 seconds. <clears throat> I need a cough button. All right, let's dive in. So in his international bestseller, Sapiens, uh, Yuval Noah Harari ambitiously traces human history over two and a half million years. That's what he thinks that we've been hanging out on this planet about two and a half million years, at least from his book, Sapiens. And by the way, Sapiens, that's us, Homo sapiens, that's the human race, that's what he's talking about. And what he says is... um, and uh, that humans, the difference between us and, and everything else, is there is no real significance um, in, in between us and the animals except for one basic and predominating thing, which I will get to. Um, so, he says this. He traces human history over what he understands to be a two and a half million year process of evolutionary biology and comes to the conclusion that sapiens, that is us, are simply, he says, an animal of no significance that has ended up dominating over other genus animals. In other words, his idea says is we just won out, right? The, weak, the, the strong beat out the weak. That's his idea of this. The main reason we dominate it is our ability to believe things that exist only in our imaginations. In other words, that we, we believe things exist in our imaginations. That helps us to see things like there's a need here, let's build it, and this is how we get things like that. But he's also talking about this idea that, that we can imagine things such as God's, 
because he's not a believer. This guy is is about as secular as secular gets. Um, And if you're going to dive into the 600-page book, I would say do so with caution because he is a secular of secularists, right? That's who he is. Um, These things like gods, nation states, rights, and some some other things, that we can imagine these things, and that's the only difference between us, and this is why we've dominated, and this is why we have survived and and made our way to the top of um, the hierarchy of animals on this planet. Um, After hundreds of pages of argument, he concludes with asking these two questions in the last two chapters of his book. One about our future. So he's asking this question, what is going to happen to these sapiens? What is going to happen to these people with the the advent of cyber genetics and and how science is progressing? So he takes a chapter and kind of unpacks where we might go from that. But funny enough, he ends the whole book this way. The other question comes from a chapter called this. And they lived happily ever after. Harari says in his last chapter this, and it's going to be up on the screen. It's a pretty long quote, but I mean, seriously, stop and think about your life right now. Stop and think about what you wrote down on your paper. Stop stop and think about what makes, what you think happiness is and what, what makes you happy and see if how many of those things might be how Harari describes it. Listen to what he says. The last 500 years have witnessed a breathtaking series of revolutions. The earth has been have, has the earth has been united into a single ecological and historical sphere. The economy has grown exponentially. Humankind today enjoys a kind of wealth that used to be the stuff of fairy tales. Science and the industrial revolution have given humankind superhuman powers and practically limitless energy. The social order has been completely transformed, so has politics, daily life, and human psychology. But are we happier? Did the wealth that humankind accumulated over the last five centuries translate into newfound contentment? Has the cognitive revolution made the world a better place to live in? Has the late Neil Armstrong, whose footprint remains intact on the windless moon, was he happier than the nameless hunter-gatherer who 30,000 years ago left her handprint on a wall in the Chauvet cave, which are some caves that have paintings in France? Are we happier today? Harari's answer is no. We don't actually seem to be happier today. To be fair, that is a very difficult thing to assess historically. We simply don't know if a medieval medieval peasant was happy. We can't just project our life experiences and expectations onto those people in that time. But I would say that the the overarching evidence says that we are not happier, even though all these wonderful things that science and society has developed, that we are no more happier. In fact, uh, we're going through a book in, with the college students uh, talking about conversations, and, and the whole book starts out about how lonely we are, that like Japan actually made a, a position called the minister of loneliness, you know, and you can't say that someone that's lonely can be, you know, extremely happy or what we think happy is. So it's, it's not just the pandemic. The pandemic has just actually just brought bubble to the surface what has been happening in our culture, in our society for a long time. And what the Bible has been telling us for 2,000 years, that if, that if we're 
we're diving into what the world gives us to try to be happy, it just fails, falls short every time. Ferrari notes, and I agree, that we can't define happiness as a kind of emotional mathematics. Right? Happiness is such a bad word in today's culture because it's such a fleeting thing. Right? This is exactly what we do whenever you're thinking happy. And maybe when I ask that question about, you know, how do you find happiness, maybe you're, you're trying to think through. And what he's talking about here is this mathematical equation. Like, okay, if I have 10 good experiences and two bad experiences today, and if you asked me, are you happy? You would say, yep, I'm happy. But if I had 10 bad experiences and two good experiences today, well, you know, I'm not, I'm not too happy today, Right? It can't be that. There has to be fundamentally something more to our life than this fleeting emotional thing that just comes and goes. And I'm going to argue, and I will argue, and this definitely is not in my notes, but I want to ask you, if you are a believer in Christ today, there is two things that I know about you. One, you are living as a sojourner in a fallen world where evil is all around us. Right? And the second thing is, is the Holy Spirit is working in you to change you, to get rid of those things that are not of God, and He's trying to change you, and He convicts you of sin. So let me ask you this. You've got a war inside of you and a war outside of you. Why on earth do you think you're just going to walk around with a smile on your face and, and everything's going to be wonderful? Stop it. That's not reality. I know that we have big books that psychologists tell us that these are all the disorders you have. That's wrong because they never tell you what is the right thing, what, what is normal. They never define that. Why wouldn't it be normal if you're living a life with, with this battle inside as God is trying to mold you into his son and evil all around you happening that you're just going to be melancholy once in a while? That you're just not going to be perfectly happy. That you're going to struggle through today. That the world around you has crashed in and the world inside of you is, is in turmoil because God's dealing with you, trying to change you. You think that you're going to have a smile on your face and be happy all the time? You're not. That's why Paul talks about suffering so much. That's why we have books of, of Job in different places. It's not. It's just a lie that we've been bought into, that we've been taught and told. But there is... A flourishing life. There is this happiness, this joy that we can walk in because we have been bought at a price. We've been bought at a price. I believe that most of us here, if asked yourself if you're happy, that is kind of how we would work it out. Well, like I said, well, I've, I've had good experiences and less bad experiences, so I'm good today. Harari states this, happiness consists of seeing one's life in its entirety as meaningful and worthwhile. Harari states this, you need to, because he, he just swerved into the truth, right? He just swerved into what the Bible teaches and what God teaches and what God says gives us a flourishing life, a happy life, a blessed life. We see that all through Scripture, Happiness consists of seeing one's life in its entirety as meaningful and worthwhile. What are you giving your life to today? Is it going to be gone tomorrow? Whenever you look at your calendar, your day's events, what are you giving your life to? Because what the Bible says is we don't give our lives to the things that, that, that give us praise and, and to give us this great joy. We are to give our lives to other people. 
That's where a flourishing life comes in. That's where true joy comes in. It's when we give our lives to others. Because if it all stops on us, we've missed the point, And we will never be happy. We will never have a flourishing life. Here's a simple illustration. A crying infant in the middle of the night, um, depending on your interpretation of that, whether it's loving, nurturing, nurturing a new life or being a slave to a, a baby dictator, that very different interpretation depends on whether you evaluate what you are doing as meaningful. So when the baby's crying at night and, and it won't stop, is, is it that you are lovingly nurturing another person or is that, is that baby just annoying you? Yes, we have that annoyance part first and then we work through it. But whether or not it's meaningful, that what you are doing is meaningful, is, you know, have you seen how moms can just unconditionally love these, the, their children the way they do? You know, dad has to leave the room and regroup and then come back, but mom's still there. She's still in the fight. She's still loving. Because there's meaning to that. There's meaning to that. If what you are doing really isn't meaningful, it's just an inconvenience. It's just an inconvenience. St. Augustine boiled down the essence of human meaningfulness to the question of true happiness. When we are talking about meaningfulness, we're talking about the universal drive to be truly and lastingly happy. It all comes together. Happiness is not just this emotionless. It's about having a meaningful, purposeful life. And, and thank God, God has given us what we should be about, what we should be doing, how, how our life can have meaning and purpose. Augustine said this, it is the decided opinion of all who use their brains that all men desire to be happy. Happiness is what all humans want. People cannot not want happiness. This is what it means to have a brain. So there's this drive inside of us. That's why we go sideways. That's why the Bible talks about idols all the time. That we have this drive in, inside of us that we, we want to be happy. What we've done is we've lost the, the, the peace, the shalom, the, the flourishing life from the garden. And we try to stuff that hole with all these things throughout life until one day we're, we're with him and in glory with him. It's interesting to look at that. Happy is not only difficult to find and keep, it's not even clear exactly what it is. If we were to look at all your answers, I think we would find different answers. Many of us would have different answers, although this is a very, you know, enclosed, small, very specific group of people that have gathered together on a Sunday morning who profess Jesus as Lord, who says that the Bible is our guide in life. But yet, I bet you there's many variant different answers in that that people put down. And I'm just not saying it's a wrong thing. I'm not, you know, I'm not trying to... to to jump up and down on your toes or anything about what you wrote down. I'm just saying that even though this is a controlled group, I bet you the answers were very different. What makes this hard is we live in a secular age where the idea of nihilism rules the day. And, and when I say nihilism, it's the rejection of all religions and moral principles and the belief that life is meaningless. Life is meaningless. So the reality is we live in an age where this is the normal air we breathe. When life is meaningless, all there is left for us to do is numb those feelings with what? Endless entertainment. 
Now I'm stepping on everybody's toes, including Joe Soikis's. Right? Isn't that what happens? Mindless and endless entertainment? We even know there is something amiss. There is some, we know that, that there's something wrong here. There's something wrong with me, right? There, there's something wrong. Even the, the, the starch atheist that believes that there's no way that there's a God, or even the agnostic who believe that, that God can't be proved, they know that something is wrong with them. They know it. That's why there's 552,000 licensed therapists in the U.S. right now. 552,000 people where you can go and say, there's something wrong with me. They can't tell you what normal is, but they'll tell you all the things that are wrong with you, right? And by the way, we know what normal is. His name is Jesus Christ. He was the normal person. You know what? He suffered and he weeped and he rejoiced and he did all the things that, that we did. Not to mention the 552,000 licensed therapists, but we also have a $10 billion a year self-help industry. Book sections. They're called bibliotherapy books. Where you go and you know there's something wrong with me, so I gotta... Now, there's some really good things in there. There are some, some people that's, uh, that have looked at life and said, man, I've done X, Y, Z, and, and they didn't work. Let me try this. Will this work? Let me pass it on to someone that, that, that it might help them. And there's good things in them, right? But all truth is God's truth. It just might be with a little T truth. All truth is God's truth. I could go on, but I, I just wanted to make sure that you did not sit here and listen to the rest of what I have to say, thinking that Billy Bob should have came today and heard this sermon. Let me ask this question. When I asked you to write down the answer to our question today, did you think happiness has nothing to do with Christianity? Did you think happiness has nothing to do with Christianity? I'm about being faithful to the Lord. Some of you might even think that Christianity is about, is it not about happiness? It's about self-denial. There's no way I should be happy. I mean, John Piper has spent his life trying to tell us we were wrong in thinking that. Right? Let me encourage you today that the Bible cares very much about this deepest human need. God cares deeply about this deepest human need. He just answers the question very differently than anyone else does. He answers that question, how to find happiness, in a very, very different way. And thankfully, because he is a gracious, merciful, loving God, he wrote the answer down in a book for us to read and interact with so that we can know the answer to the question, how do you find happiness? Let's see what he has to say just from our passage today. And today, we're just going to be looking at verses 39 through 45 of chapter 1. We're going to be looking at verses 39 through 45 of chapter 1. So let's just see what he says from our passage today. Now, for those of you that might have not been here last week, we, we need to catch up just a, a smidgen, just so, because it's a one, one long story that, that Luke is trying to tell us. We left Mary last week, um, and her world was just turned upside down, right? If you remember Mary, who was just betrothed to be married to Joseph, 
right? She was busy about her business, getting things ready for the home taking. When Joseph will come get her for the wedding, right? So she's busy about doing her part. And she's waiting for the time when Joseph gets the house ready and, and he gathers all the people from the town and, and they make a big march, kind of like a big Mardi Gras parade to the house where he comes in and he gets Mary for the wedding. God decides to pour out his grace on her and sends Gabriel to give her a message. And what was that message? You are favored. You will give birth to a son. That son is the Messiah, and you are to call him Jesus. And oh, by the way, you can trust God, because there is a sign, and this sign is important. The sign is this. Elizabeth is also with child. Mary, there's a sign, and and we kind of put that in in our back pocket for a while, and it's going to come to fruition here in our passage today. Mary asked the question, how? Not like Zechariah, who was, you know, how am I supposed to believe this? She just wanted to know the mechanics of it. Like, how is this going to happen? I know that I'm a virgin. How is this going to happen? She just wanted to know the mechanics of it, right? Gabriel answers, the Holy Spirit will come upon you, and the power of God will provide the seed, because nothing is impossible with God. Mary's answer was to the point, was the point of last week's message. And the point of last week's message is we are to be Christians who live indifferently. And when I say indifferently, I don't mean that we don't care. It's a different way of looking at that word. And, and her answer to, to Gabriel and to God in, in Luke one thirty eight says this, And Mary said, Behold, I am the servant of the Lord. Let it be to me according to your word. And the angel departed from her. Let it be. To be spiritually indifferent is to be at a place where you hold no preference apart from the preference that the will of God be done here today with this matter. That's what it means to live a life of indifference. Like Joe's will has been set aside. What do you want me to do, God? Indifferent living is when you have no preference other than the will of God. No preference other than the will of God. Now, although Mary has submitted to having no preference other than the will of God, don't think that everything inside her wasn't in turmoil. I mean, here is a young 14, 15-year-old girl who's been betrothed, and angel comes and says, you are going to be with child, and that child is the Messiah, the Savior of the world. And she was like, well, let it be. That, that I will live my life, that, that no other preference but the will of God. But you don't think that she's not like, what in the world's happening here? Like, crazy. She knows that because she will be an unwed mother, because she will have a child before she's married, her life will essentially be ruined. It will be ruined socially. It will be ruined relationally. She submits, but there's not like this great, outward, wonderful joy about it. She submits to the Lord. And sometimes, you know what, brothers and sisters, sometimes it's all that we can muster up. And there's nothing wrong with that. Is Lord, I know what you want me to do. I really don't want to do it. I don't see how this is good. But you know what? I know that I know that I know that this is what you want me to do, so I'll step into it and watch God work. Because he's working all things for good for each one of us that are in Christ. Mary is stepping into God's will, but doesn't fully comprehend all that is happening. And God did not leave her without help. Remember the thing that she had put back in her pocket, this sign? God told her to go see Elizabeth, not in so many words, 
Right? But God did not say this directly, but he told her Elizabeth is under the hand of God. Elizabeth, your older cousin, Elizabeth, who is too old to be having children, has been touched by God. Mary believes and she goes. She believes and she goes. Luke 1, 39 through 40 says, In those days Mary arose and went with haste into the hill country to a town in Judah. And she entered the house of Zechariah and greeted Elizabeth. So she goes. Now Mary had to go. Now I, I was trying to dig in. It's like, how does this 14-year-old person go on this journey? Because it wasn't journey. It was like not going from here to Cumberland. I mean, maybe like going, well, actually like, probably like from going from here to Hagerstown. And by the way, we can't get in our car that goes 70 mile an hour. She doesn't, you know, have any of that. She, she had to go. How in the world did she do that at that age? Anyway, I'll digress about that. But you know what? There's no Snapchat. There was no Facebook Messenger, right? Mary had to go. She had to take the journey. Luke tells us she made the 80 to 100 mile journey with haste. There's no waiting. I've got to go see the sign. You just told me that Elizabeth is pregnant. I know Elizabeth's age. There's no way. I, I'm going to go see the sign. Because, yeah, I, I've submitted my life. I, I, I said, your will be done, Lord. But, man, you know, put yourself in Mary's shoes just a little bit. You know, there has to be this turmoil going on. I'm going to go see the sign, right? Mary's departure reflects an instant response to God's leading. She left in haste, quickly. I pray for each of us, including myself, that the Holy Spirit will lead us to be people that respond to God's leading with haste. That we will be people to respond to God's leading with haste. He is still speaking today, brothers and sisters. Are you listening? He is still speaking today. He is the same yesterday, today, and tomorrow. And I can prove that he is still speaking. I can prove it right here, right now. Those who are in Christ, I would imagine, and I would think, knowing what the Bible says and what the Holy Spirit says, those of us that are in Christ that are sitting here today or maybe watching online did not make it through this week without being convicted of sin. Not one of us. Somewhere along the week, we, we stumbled. That's human. That's, we're messy, right? We're just messy, And the Holy Spirit spoke to you. God spoke to you. If you've ever been convicted of sin, God spoke to you through his spirit to say, oh, wait a minute here. You're going the wrong way. You're going the wrong way. God still speaks today, brothers and sisters. We just got to be listening. We got to have ears attuned. We got to be in prayer. We got to be, be in the word. He is still speaking today. So my question to all of us, including myself, and as I'm working through this, you know, kind of half in and half out of, of sickness as I'm working through this message today and I, for today, and I'm, and I'm working, you know, in this, I'm asking this question to myself also, did you respond with, with um, man, that's a bad sentence. Did you respond quickly in your repentance? as the Holy Spirit convicted you of sin? Did you agree with what the Spirit said? This is all part of repentance. Like, the Holy Spirit brings up, okay, Joe, you just lied again. Okay, Lord, yep, you're right, I agree. I agree with what the Holy Spirit just showed me, 
right? I, I agree with that, and then I turn to God. Lord, forgive me. Help me to whatever the reason why I lied. Maybe I lied because I wanted someone to think better of me, so I, you know, I kind of skated the truth a little bit so that they think better of me. Lord, help me to trust in the gospel that, that, that I am saved, that I am in Christ, that my identity is in Christ, and I don't have to live up to this person's standards. I only live up to your standards, and I know that nobody can live up to your standards, but Christ did it for me, so I'm going to believe the gospel. Next time that it comes up, I'm not going to lie. I'm just going to say the truth no matter what this person believes. That's how the gospel works in our lives each and every moment of each and every day as we learn the roots of the, of the fruit or the thorns of our life. Which you can learn about in the how people change thing that we'll be doing again in a couple months. So did you respond quickly? Like Mary did with haste as God spoke? So after a three or four day journey, Mary reaches Elizabeth's house and greets her. But the greeting she receives is quite astonishing. So Mary's going to see this sign, and, and what she gets back is this greeting from Elizabeth. We find that in verses 41 through 44. And when Elizabeth heard the greeting of Mary, the baby leaped in her womb, and Elizabeth was filled with the Holy Spirit. And she exclaimed with a loud cry, Blessed are you among women, and blessed is the fruit of your womb. And why is this granted to me that the mother of my Lord should come to me? For behold, when the sound of your greeting came to my ears, the baby in my womb leaped for joy. Now, there are many threads that I can pull on within these verses. I just wanted to name a couple and spend a couple minutes on one of them. The first thread is this, that, that what we have here is what the theologians call the visitation. This is kind of neat. I mean, this could be a, all of these could be a, a sermon on their own, but I will spare you at this point in time. You had the meeting of the, the greatest prophet of the Old Testament in John, the one called to announce the coming of Christ. That's why he's the greatest, because all he's doing is Matt taught us, right? The only thing that made him great is the fact that he was pointing to the great one, Jesus Christ. Jesus, who was the Christ, the Lord of the new covenant. So you have the old covenant and the new covenant all coming together in this room in Elizabeth's house. That's just mind-blowing, but we'll leave that for another day. The second thing that, that I saw is you have God fulfilling Luke 1.15, when Gabriel said that, that John would be filled with the spirit from his mother's womb. And that's the last verse. For behold, when the sound of your greeting came to my ears, the baby in my womb leaped for joy. So that's fulfillment of promise. Pretty quickly, by the way. You not only that, but you have the illusion of, of Genesis and the story of Jacob and Esau. Well, it was the, the thing, the main thing about Jacob and Esau that the younger would, the older would serve the younger. Well, John's older than Jesus, but John would serve Jesus, right? Now, we're talking about human ways. I know that Jesus is eternal, and, and we can dive into that, but we'll keep rolling here. And here's the question that, that I, there was no answers for. I mean, I know the answer, and you know the answer. You're smart people. But how did Elizabeth know that Mary was pregnant? Did you stop and think about that? Again, there's no Snapchat. There's no Facebook. They didn't post it, right? How did Elizabeth know that Mary was pregnant? We see this. And why is this granted to me that my, the mother of my Lord should come to me? 
How did she know that she was pregnant? I mean, I would say it was the Holy Spirit. God told her that. But I thought that was interesting. Now, I just want to take a minute to focus on what Elizabeth says about God, because that's the most important thing, right? What, what the Bible says about God. Who is God? And what has he done? Right? And what he said, and what God said, and what she said to Mary. Within this exchange, we actually see, and this is pretty cool, we see the Trinity right here within this, these statements. On one hand, she says, the Lord has made this promise. The Lord came and made this promise to you. This is what she said to Mary. Luke 1.42, and she exclaimed with a loud cry, blessed are you among women and blessed is the fruit of your womb. God the Father has poured out his favor on Mary. On the other hand, the baby in Mary's womb is the Lord. How does that work out? And why is this granted me that the mother of my Lord should come to me? So you see what Elizabeth is discerning here? Now, wait a minute, that, that God blessed you and that the, the blessing in your womb is also my Lord. So God the Father blessed you and, and in your womb is Jesus Christ the Messiah, my Lord. Where is the Lord? Is the Lord the one who sent the baby or is the Lord the baby? Is the Lord the one who has promised the baby, or is the Lord the baby? The answer is a resounding yes. Yes, he is. The Father is God, and the Son is God, and you have the Holy Spirit orchestrating the whole thing, just as always. Anytime there's something being created, the Holy Spirit's not far around. He's always around. When the earth was created, he's there, and Whenever we're, we're given a new life, a newborn, the Holy Spirit's there, and the Holy Spirit overcame and, and for, overshadowed um, Mary and, and caused her to be pregnant. He is always there at creation. So within this little passage, we see the Trinity, and I think that's just amazing. Maybe sitting there, you're, you're not so amazed about it, but that is so cool that, that we see right here that God, yes, God sent the promise and God was in the womb and the Holy Spirit was orchestrating all of this. Elizabeth has this remarkable space about Mary and about Jesus. And when that happens, the penny drops for Mary. Why is it so important to see who God is? Well, we're going to see Mary, and next week we're going to talk about what happens with her joy as, as she proclaims all the things that's in her heart as she sees God for who he is and what is happening. Because remember, she just got the announcement, and she stepped into his will, and now she's going to go see the sign. How, you know, help me believe, Lord. Help me believe. And what we see also as as the penny drops for Mary, is we also see this, is, is that we need community. That many times that we need community for seeing the Lord. Sometimes that, that we are so stuck in our heads and we're so stuck on running the same old, you know, story around in our head about, you know, maybe God is, is convicting us of sin and showing us a sin and, and we're, we're just, we're inside of our heads and we're rolling and rolling and rolling. We need a brother and sister to come and, and share the good news with us or to, to, to see our blind spots and help us point them out. Sometimes we just need community to see the Lord. Many times we find the Lord mainly in community. So often a word that we need from God comes from a brother or sister in Christ. 
What a beautiful picture this is of one of, of one-on-one relationship between Christians. What a beautiful picture this is of a small group fellowship. We come in and we talk about what God means to us, and the pieces of the puzzle come together. Not only do these verses point us to the importance of community, these verses show the joy that comes whenever anyone recognizes that Jesus is the Christ. This is what Elizabeth showed Mary. The Lord is my Lord, right? It all came together. The diamond dropped for her. The first to recognize him was John, whose calling was to announce Christ's coming, which he began right there in the womb. For behold, when the sound of their greeting came to my ears, the baby in my womb leaped for joy. John already started his ministry. He's pointing to the Lord, to Jesus. He's in Mary's womb. Not yet born already, John prophesies, wrote um, Mismus of Turin, and while still in the enclosure of his mother's womb, confesses the coming of Christ with movements of joy. The coming of Christ is a thing that makes a person leap for joy. This was true for John, and also for anyone who comes to faith in Christ. By the inward witness of the Holy Spirit, we recognize that Jesus is the Son of God and our Savior from sin. When we recognize Him, we rejoice in Him, leaping for joy of our salvation. So let me tie this all together. How do you find happiness? Well, it certainly isn't in your circumstances, right? Elizabeth was old and pregnant, and her husband, whose job is to speak of God, is now mute because he didn't believe in the Lord. Mary was betrothed to be married, and that marriage has not been consummated, yet she is with child. It certainly wasn't in their circumstances. There are no emotional mathematics that get you to the happiness these women are experiencing when looking at their circumstances. No, God gives you one of the keys to true happiness, to a flourishing life, a life of meaning, and he gives it to us in the last verse of our passage today. And blessed, there's that word, blessed, happy. Oftentimes it's translated happy, but happy is is not deep enough. It's not good enough the way we use happy today. It's like a flourishing life. And blessed is is she who believed that there would be a fulfillment of what was spoken to her from the Lord. So that's why I've been talking about happiness. Because this is a beatitude that blessed are those who believe that there would be a fulfillment of what was spoken to her from the Lord. And again, what I I mean by happy is more than a fleeting emotion. It's, It's living life to the fullest. John 10.10. 10. I'm talking about flourishing as a human. What is God telling us today about living this flourishing life? Today we get one piece, and there are many, many more pieces within the Bible. Just open up the Sermon on the Mount. There's tons of them there. That we would believe that God has spoken. What God has spoken, he will surely do. That's what leads to a flourishing life. That we would believe what God has spoken, he will surely do. And you're just like, oh, Joe, I believe that. And you know what? I could look in the mirror and say, oh, Joe, you believe that. But do we? Whenever we're filled with anxiety and fear, are we trusting that he's working all things for good? Are we trusting That he's in charge? That he will do what he said he's going to do? 
Are we truly trusting that? Because see, what's happened here is brother and sister Luke has wrote this story so that you would be certain about those things God has promised to accomplish and has accomplished. That's why he's writing to Theophilus. This is why he's writing to us. So that we can be certain. We know that, that God will fulfill everything that he says he's going to do. We've, we see it right here in just this little story. But we also see it in the entirety of the Bible. So how do you find happiness? I think in this passage, Luke is saying, by believing all that God has said, he will do. And I pray that you believe that today. Can we pray? Father, I just pray that you would help us today to believe. Mary believed and went. Pray many, God, many of us know your word. We know a lot of your word. Yes, we need to hide more and more in our hearts, but Lord, help us to believe. We like the person that cried out to Jesus. Lord, help my unbelief, because we all have unbelief in areas of our lives. I pray that you would help us to believe, to believe what your word says and that you will fulfill all your promises. Lord, I pray as we gathered as a community today that, that maybe for the thousandth time or maybe today for the first time, someone has seen the Lord for who he is, the Savior, the one that took our sins. Father, I pray for your help in my life to believe. And I pray for my brothers and sisters in Christ that you would help them to believe all that you have said as we know that you will make those things happen. We ask this in Jesus' name. Amen. Thank you for listening to the weekly sermon podcast from Mountain City Church. To learn more about our church, visit our website at mountaincty.church. Thanks again, and may the Lord bless your week.